Ada or Ardor by Vladimir Nabokov is definitely one of the most difficult books I've ever read. Uh, when I first read it a few years ago, it took me a long time to get through it, and uh, I felt like I barely understood it. Um, and even now, I don't feel like I fully understand the book. Uh, it, it takes place on an alternative history of our planet. It takes place on a planet called Demonia, which is like a parallel version of our planet. It's also called Anti-Terra. And Nabokov has this whole uh, history, um, which in many ways is, is similar but different, I think. I mean, I don't remember exactly the details, but like uh, Russia controls parts of North America. Um, the names are sort of like variations on, on geographical names that we would be familiar with. They have their own uh, literature, which is like parallel to our literature with authors that are, that are uh, similar. Um, but there's like, like twists on everything. Like everything is like slightly different. It's like a refracted, um, distorted lens, uh, of seeing the world in this like parallel mirror, mirror universe. And on Antiterra, on Demonia, um, people have sort of this kind of psychosis, um, where they, they can fall into like a psychotic state where they have visions of Terra. Where, and Terra is, is our planet. And so there's like this collective hallucination going on um, as people uh, all across you know, the planet are in sort of psychiatric wards um, and, and collectively hallucinating uh, our reality. And uh, the main character of our book, uh, the protagonist Van Veen, who we follow through a lot of the book, uh, works in the field of psychology where they, uh, he studies this, this kind of uh, strange uh, phenomenon. In many ways, I feel like it's an example of Nabokov at really the height of his powers, having as much fun as he can. And uh, the cost that you might say of that is a book which is uh, very difficult. Um, you might even say uh, somewhat pretentious. And it follows a love, uh, a relationship between these two characters, Ada and Van Veen, who meet on their family's estate, and they think they're cousins. Ada is soon to be 12, and Vaughn is 14 when they first meet, and they fall in love, and they start this incestuous uh, sexual relationship, which they maintain throughout the course of their lives. And this book follows them throughout the course of their lives, and it ends with sort of the editing of this manuscript that is this book, uh, Van Veen in his 90s, you know, really at the end of his life, curating this document of memory. Ada and Van Veen are like these very precocious, brilliant children. You know, Ada is a master at Scrabble. Um, and there's like a scene where she gets, you know, like all the points where you get all her tiles. Um, and that's sort of an example of, of the wordplay and the, the language. The book is obsessed with language and puns. Every, every line is like a pun, and the, 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 the book is written in multiple languages. Uh, it drifts in and out of French, for example. You know, Van Veen uh, is obsessed uh, with, with chess and other intellectual pursuits. Um, they're both very avid readers, of course. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of Remembrance of Things Past or In Search of Lost Time by Marcel Proust. Um, just a lot of beautiful, flowery kind of descriptions. Uh, it's shot through with a deep nostalgia 
for uh, youth, a very precocious youth. Additionally, there's like this obsession with time. Towards the end of the book, uh, it, it sort of devolves into kind of like this long essay on the nature of time, um, which is a strange, a strange place to go, obviously. Um, and another reason why this is just such like a strange, difficult book. Um, but to give a sense of that, like reading right from the end now is uh, we're, we're, we're speeding towards uh, the end of, of these characters' lives. But we're, we're now in this like long, protracted uh, philosophical treatise, treatise on time. So Van Veen says, uh, physiologically, the sense of time is a sense of continuous becoming. And if becoming has a voice, the latter might be not unnaturally a steady vibration. But for log's sake, let us not confuse time with tinnitus and the seashell hum of duration with the throb of our blood. Philosophically, on the other hand, time is but memory in the making. In every individual life, there goes on from cradle to deathbed the gradual shaping and strengthening of that backbone of consciousness, which is the time of the strong. To be means to know one has been. Not to be implies the only new kind of time, the future. I dismiss it. Life, love, libraries have no future. Time is anything but the popular triptych of no longer existing past, the durationless point of the present, and the not yet that may never come. No, there are only two panels, the past ever existing in my mind and the present to which my mind gives duration and therefore reality. And it goes on like this. The, the opening section of the book describes this sort of idyllic childhood situation, the sexual awakening of these two very young characters, this incestuous love relationship, which is infinitely passionate. Eventually, uh, after a year or so, they, they're separating for the first time. And it's a very painful, dramatic moment uh, for, for our two protagonists. And so Van, Van Veen is uh, you know, pleading with Ada that uh, she needs to be faithful to him until they, they reunite in the future. Because Van Veen, I think, is traveling off somewhere to go to school. He says, will you be faithful? Will you be faithful to me? Ada responds, you spit love, said Juan, smiling Ada, wiping off the P's and the F's. I don't know. I adore you. I shall never love anybody in my life as I adore you, never and nowhere, neither in eternity nor terrenity, neither in Lador nor on Terra, where they say our souls go. But, but my love, my Vaughn, I'm physically, I'm physical, horribly physical. I don't know. I'm frank. Oh dear, don't ask me. There's a girl in my school who is in love with me. I don't know what I'm saying. The girls don't matter, said Vaughn. It's the fellows I'll kill if they come near you. Last night, I tried to make a poem about it for you, but I can't write verse. It begins, it only begins, Ada, our ardors and arbors, but the rest is all fog. Try to fancy the rest. They embraced one last time, and without looking back, he fled. End quote. And that gives a sense of the kind of the, the pain of uh, sort of nostalgia and, and love, um, which, which sort of permeates the book. Uh, it goes on to describe the, the way in which they had to you know, hide their love and their relationship, which is obviously illegal and, and very incestuous. Um, we find out early on in the book that uh, Van Veen is uh, totally infertile, which is uh, super convenient, of course. Um, but they, they have a secret code 
that they send back to and forth. And it's very, very complicated. And Nabokov goes into details. He's like, he loves this kind of, uh, <laughs> this kind of thing, uh, cryptography, uh, explaining these, these ciphers that they send back and forth where they switch letters and they, they shift letters all across uh, the words, depending on how long the word is. Uh, he explains, though, unfortunately, complications arose. Ada suggested certain improvements, such as beginning every message in ciphered French, then switching to ciphered English after the first two-letter word, switching back to French after the first three-letter word, and reshuffling the shuttle with additional variations. Owing to these improvements, the messages became even harder to read than to write, especially as both correspondents, in the exasperation of tender passion, inserted afterthoughts, deleted phrases, rephrased insertions, and reinstated deletions with misspellings and miscodings, owing as much to their struggle with inexpressible distress as to their overcomplicating its cryptogram. And this is an example of the way you know, Nabokov loves um, to use sort of like this, uh, the wrestling with the medium of language and, and struggling with that medium and, and struggling to express uh, things that are getting lost. Um, and that's sort of like a theme that, that comes up again throughout the book and I think characterizes perhaps uh, how Nabokov felt about uh, literature in general. There isn't a whole lot of narrative thrust to the book. It's just, it's like this memoir, um, like I said, similar to, to Proust a little bit. It just washes over you, it flows. But there is one very, very memorable scene. It's the scene where Von Wien's father, Demann, accidentally uh, visits unexpectedly his son, Von Wien, uh, in his apartment and finds Ada there as well and realizes that his son is having an incestuous relationship. Uh, this is after all the steps you know, Von Wien has taken to make sure that he gets noticed if anyone is coming and the doorman to warn him so that uh, you know, no one in his family or no one would know about uh, this, this illegal uh, and taboo relationship. But his father uh, comes in and finds out he's, he's crying, his father, and he's you know, threatening to disown his son if he doesn't break off the relationship. Uh, eventually, uh, Von Wien, he leaves and, and he writes a letter to Ada. It's this very dark letter. He says, uh, do what he tells you, uh, meaning basically listen to my father when he says to break off the relationship. His logic sounds preposterous, a vague kind of Victorian era as they have on Terra, according to my mad blank, uh, meaning uh, throughout the book we get the sense that the, the manuscript we're reading from is corrupted, that there's uh, words missing. So there's a missing word here. Um, but in a paroxysm of illegible, another missing word, I suddenly realized he was right. Yes, right. Here and there, not neither here nor there, as most things are. You see, girl, how it is and must be. In the last window we shared, we both saw a man painting us, but your second floor level of vision probably prevented your seeing that he wore what looked like a butcher's apron, badly smeared. Goodbye, girl. And so that's his very ominous letter. Um, and that reference to this, this image of the, the person painting them through the window, he says it was really a butcher's apron. And so we see now this is like a kind of suicide note. And uh, the, the text continues, Vaughn sealed the letter found his thunderbolt pistol in the place he had visualized, introduced one cartridge into the magazine, and translated it into its chamber. 
Then standing before a closet mirror, he put the automatic to his head at the point of the paterion and pressed the comfortably concave trigger. Nothing happened, or perhaps everything happened, and his destiny simply forked at that instant, as it probably does sometimes at night, especially in a strange bed, at stages of great happiness or great desolation, when we happen to die in our sleep, but continue our normal existence with no perceptible break in the faked serialization on the following neatly prepared morning with a spurious past discreetly but firmly attached behind. Anyway, what he held in his right hand was no longer a pistol but a pocket comb which he passed, which he passed through his hair at the temples. End quote. And so that's the kind of fun that Nabokov is having and the kind of thing that he's trying to explore and dig at, this, this forking of time, this forking of realities, the intangibility, the unknowability of the past, the constructedness of the past. And these are all, all themes that, that get explored in this uh, very, very uh, unusual way. The last quote I just want to read gives a sense of, of the way Nabokov is obsessed in this book with layers layers of time and, and layers of, of versions and layers of, of the text. So the text we're getting uh, is, is constructed. It, this is an example of metafiction. It's, it's fiction that's aware of its own constructedness. It's been edited by multiple people. It's illegible at places. And there's, there's, le there's layers of editors who were working on it. And I'm just going to read this, this section here. Um, which is like sort of like a long editor's note uh, and, and just it's, it's so punctuated with parenthesis and with brackets and with uh, omissions and missing, missing pieces um, and it just, it's sort of Nabokov having fun with the constructedness of, of texts. Quote, For the sake of the scholars who will read this forbidden memoir with a secret tingle, they are human, in the secret chasms of libraries, where the chatter, the lays, and the fannies of rotting pornographers are piously kept. Its author must add, in the margin of galley proofs, which a bedridden old man heroically corrects, parenthesis, for those slippery long snakes add the last touch to a writer's woes. A few more, bracket, the end of the sentence cannot be deciphered. But fortunately, the next paragraph is scrawled on a separate writing pad page, editor's note, dot, 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 about the rapture of her identity. The asses who might really think that in the starlight of eternity, my, Von Wien's and her, Ada Wien's conjunction, somewhere in North America, in the 19th century, represented but one trillionth of a trillionth part of a pinpoint planet's significance, can bray... Alleurs, alleurs, alleurs. The English word would not supply the onomatopoetic element. Old Veen is kind. Because the rapture of her identity, placed under the microscope of reality, which is the only reality, shows a complex system of those subtle bridges which the senses traverse, laughing, embraced, throwing flowers in the air between membrane and brain, and which always was and is a form of memory, even at the moment of its perception. I am weak.
I write badly. I may die tonight. My magic carpet no longer skims over crowned canopies and gaping nestlings and her rarest orchids. Insert.